Hello everyone, Margaret Kingston here. Um, I'm about to interview Helen Haynes, who is trying to do the unprecedented, succeed as an independent and independent. Um, Indi is Nightfib's top, top priority seat for Independence Day. Cathy uh, McGowan, um, we followed her ever since she started her campaign in 2013. She's handed the baton to Helen, so I'm delighted to be with you, Helen. Hi. Hi, Margot. So our listeners don't really know that much about you. So could you give us a pen portrait of your, your background in Indi? And also, if you can, how you got involved in the community group which recruited Cathy called Voices for Indi? Sure, Margot. Thank you. Yes, so um, I'm a 57-year-old woman. I have lived in the electorate of Indi for 33 of those 57 years. And I came up here as a young nurse in 1986 and uh, took up a position in the Wangaratta Base Hospital. And then following that, I took up a role as a, a matron, funnily enough, um, at the Chiltern Bush Nursing Hospital as quite a, quite a young woman. Um, and from there, I continued to work in healthcare really over the next 30 years as a nurse and a midwife. I uh, continued with my education while I was here and uh, completed a master's degree in public health and then a PhD in uh, medical science. And I've been working both in the uh, healthcare system on the ground and also as uh, an academic with the Department of Rural Health, uh, University of Melbourne, based in Wangaratta. And I've lived, uh, lived with my family out on a small beef farm and we raised our three kids there and uh, they all went to school in Wangaratta. And uh, life was swimming along pretty nicely, really. And then in 2013, um, our family became really engaged with the movement that's now known as Voices for Indi and uh, really uh, got behind that whole community group that saw Cathy McGowan elected to Parliament in what was a massive surprise in 2013. And we continued to support Cathy then through 2016, right up until her retirement just this year. So um, that's kind of, that's, that's where I've come from. I, I grew up on a dairy farm, so that rural background is deep in my blood. Politics, however, uh, outside of that extraordinary movement that I just described, the Voices for Indi-led movement in 2013, was really never in my DNA. Uh, but I've been so inspired and activated and energised through that, that uh, when it became clear that Cathy was going to retire and suggested that I should throw my hat in the ring, and I could think of a lot of reasons not to do that, but... Uh, Really, what we've achieved in Indi has, has been life-changing for many of us, including me, and I, I'm really keen to continue with doing politics differently. So, can I ask you why you got involved in Voices for Indi in the first place? Like, how, how that movement grew and why? Yeah, Margot, so... Um, it wasn't me so much as my husband, Phil, and my son, Nick, who really, really got involved in those early days. I was finishing my doctorate and looking after my father, who, who subsequently died during that, that period in 2012 when Voices for Indi really started. Um, but I saw really what was driving them and many others, and that was this notion of 
how things were in Indi, uh, that, that we were seen really as, or we saw ourselves as a place where we had no choice mm. in who was representing us in Parliament. We, we felt like it was always business as usual and that we could never change our representation. And many people were particularly upset at the style of representation with our current, current member. And, and many people were particularly upset about our, our member at the time not attending the national apology to the stolen generation. That was yes. a, a sense of, of enormous disappointment and a, yeah. a feeling really that so many of us just uh, viscerally felt that we were not being heard or represented as to who we truly were. And this notion that we were some some kind of electorate that didn't care about such important mm. national issues was not true, and um, and 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 that really did inspire many people, me included, to say, well, let's stand up, let's actually stand up and have our voice heard. The fact that that it, it led to such such a movement really, um, I think, surprised us all. Yeah, sometimes we don't understand the real power we have within our own communities until we start to rouse. Well, I remember um, I stayed at your house that night on election night and Cathy had given a victory speech and then the news came that Wangaratta had swung hard against Cathy and it looked like she'd lost the next day. And remember that week of just counting and recounting and I think Cathy scraped in with a lead of 481 votes, something like that? that that's right, Margot. And in fact, um, I had to ring up my boss that week and say, look, I, I really can't concentrate at work. What's going on here is so exciting that I, I need to take a few days leave without pay and go down and help scrutineer. And I was in the office in Wangaratta, the electoral office, the day that they found the box of missing votes. Uh, oh. They were the votes from Wangaratta and they were the ones that changed the course of history. And uh, I've, again, never forgotten the amazing feeling of, of empowerment that we all had that we, we actually can change the course of history if we get organised, if we talk to each other and if we activate our most wonderful community networks. Uh, and, you know, the, the sense of jubilation, well, you were, you were around, Margot, you know what it was like. <laughs> I do. It was magical. It was um, magic. So Sophie Mirabella stood again in 2016 and yes. Cathy had... a. I would call it a comfortable win. She yeah. won 54-46. So the community obviously felt she served them. So could you just give us an indication of uh, the six years of Cathy, what difference it's made to the, the people of Indi? Yeah. So, Margot, I think it's made a difference on a micro level and on a macro level. So on a micro level, people have seen a, a representative for them in Canberra who brings them along with her. Uh, so Cathy's style of, of doing her parliamentary work is, is very collaborative. So in, instead of, of community groups pitting themselves against each other to compete for particular, particular grants, Cathy's style has brought them together to collaborate, to look at how across the region we can work in a way that uh, provides success to more people than just one community. Uh, so I think probably the best example of that was the, the terrific success for Indi in the mobile phone black spot program, which mm -hmm. uh, has seen 200 black spots being eliminated from our communities and 52 base stations being built. Uh, that includes some from the, the state government as well as the federal government. 
But Cathy's approach to that was to bring together the local governments and uh, work with the telcos and put in grant, put in applications to that fund that uh, were collaborative and, mm. and the results speak for themselves. So that's one example. But Cathy, Cathy worked also on, on, on small things with small communities and, and heard what the issues were for them and assisted them to find ways to find solutions. And her role yep. as a member of parliament was such that she could shepherd some of these ideas through to some of the uh, decision makers. And this notion that an independent has, has no place at the table was completely debunked by the way Cathy did her work. And, and I think on yes. a national level, uh, a great example of that is the drought policy that was um, passed just at the beginning of the year. And there were major holes in that drought policy. And Cathy and, and went to the Prime Minister, Mr Morrison at the time, and uh, pointed out that there were you know, quite a few gaps. She couldn't see the detail in the policy and she was told not to worry about that, we'll all be fine. Mr. Joyce has got this in hand, um, but Cathy didn't rest on that. She took that, that piece of proposed legislation away, did the due diligence, got the National Farmers Federation involved and in fact found so many glaring issues there that needed amendment and drafted 10 amendments, went back to the government. They said, oh gosh, well, thanks very much. That's terrific work, Cathy. Um, all 10 amendments were passed. So, you know, again, able to work at that national level and, and I think the other thing from a national perspective, really, Margot, is Cathy's highlighting, uh, well, two things, two more things, really, highlighting of the need for a National Integrity Commission, which is something that I hear on the ground everywhere I go. Uh, people's distrust in the major parties, yes. politicians, is profound. And, uh, you know, people on the street want a National Integrity Commission. They say to me regularly, you know, what, what other group of people can make their own rules? Um, so I think Cathy's highlighting of that and again drafting our private members bill about that was a, a massive piece of work and one that's been regarded as, as extremely good. So um, as, as I'm getting around campaigning, I talk to that quite a lot and I would be so supportive of that getting, getting passed uh, in the next parliament. So, so there's that and I think the other, the other really significant piece of work is, uh, was Cathy's final um, private member's bill, which is calling for an office, uh, an office for, for rural and regional Australia. Mm, and that's mm. something that we so desperately need. I was going to ask you about um, the National Integrity Commission, um, whether you would commit to um, taking forward her draft bill and um, trying to ensure that it gets through in the next parliament? Yes, Margot, I'm really committed to that. And in fact, today I'm having a little little press event at the Australian Electrical Commission when I um, hand in my nomination for Parliament. I will be signing the St James Ethics Centre Politicians Pledge and talking about the need for a, uh, a National Integrity Commission. So I'm, I'm absolutely committed to that. Okay, so this time round you've got a Liberal called Steve Martin and a National Party um, candidate called Mark Byatt against you. And there's been quite a lot of coverage of the fact that the Liberals believe that uh, they can win this seat back, that this is the seat they are pinning their hopes on as a, as a win. Um, how is that um, showing up on the ground? Well, Margot, uh, there's a lot of people on the ground who tell me how happy they've been with the last six years of having an independent candidate and that they would like to see that continue. They're telling me that uh, they're getting a, a, lot of, uh, a lot of noise 
from from both the Liberal Party and the National Party. There's certainly plenty of money being thrown around. There's some uh, core flutes, wall-to-wall core flutes. There's television and radio advertising and social media pop-up advertising everywhere. People in the electorate are very aware that the that the Libs want this this seat back. How that's actually playing out in terms of changing people's minds to move back from an independent to a major party, I guess we will only know that um, on the 18th of May. But I would say I'm feeling optimistic that many people who were formerly rusted on Libs and Nats are not telling me that they're planning planning to to go back to their old ways. So. Yeah, it, it's, it's difficult to know, but it's clear to me as, again, as, uh, you know, I stand out from the crowd at the moment. I'm the only woman in, in the lineup of, of yes. uh, Liberal, National and Labor. The, the, the Greens, I believe, will be running a candidate and I'm not sure who that is yet. So um, I stand out on, uh, on a couple of levels. Um, yeah, and I'm very conscious, of course, that, uh, well, those, those uh, chaps from Wodonga are pretty keen to, uh, to grab this seat. So um, I read a report that this new group, Advance Australia, um, which is a, a, a climate-denying hard-right group, has come in with big money to help Tony Abbott in Warringah, Michael Sukar in Deakin, Nicole Flint in Boothby, and the Liberal in your seat. Have you seen any evidence of, of um, what's this called, Captain Get Up or, or any other sort of um, advanced Australia money being thrown around in your seat? Well, absolutely. Down in uh, Mansfield just this weekend, uh, Senator James Patterson uh, was guest speaker at a, a, a fundraising event for Steve Martin. So he was in town and... Um, Another <laughs> Dutton uh, voter, by the way. Yes, by the way. Uh, anyway, that was going on in the evening, but during the day, um, the Orange campaigners, a big group of our volunteers in um, in Mansfield, had their, their usual weekend pop-up Orange market stall, and uh, they received a visit from uh, this, this curious curious character, Captain Getup, and... Um, yep. <laughs> Most people thought it was the craziest, silliest uh, thing they'd ever seen. Couldn't believe that it'd shown up in, in Mansfield. And, and I guess what's so funny, really, Margot, is that if, if you were to take a look at who the volunteers are on Helen Haynes's campaign for Indi, um, there's 1,600 volunteers in our campaign. So we had 800, wow. around 800 when Cathy was running in 2016. And... Pretty much all of those 800 have come across over to my campaign and then we have doubled that. Uh, and amongst all of these people are, are people who really, uh, you know, I think Advance Australia have nothing to fear if they were to see us. And so they were highly <laughs> amused that Captain Getup was after them. And, um, you know, these are, these are women, some women on the stall who, are, you know, they, they, wouldn't be, they wouldn't be cross with me if I was to say that, that you know, that they're quite elderly, some of them. Um, there's a broad cross-section of people, but, uh, yeah, they don't look like rampant, uh, rampant troublemakers that Captain Getup needs to whip back into compliance, that's for sure. <laughs> so um, I remember when Cathy was standing in 2013 against uh, Sophie and at the last minute Sophie threw mega TV ads at her. And yeah. she did a, a fundraising campaign, um, and I think she raised a hundred thousand dollars. I'm not, I can't really, I can't really um, 
uh, say that's the exact figure. But how are you off? Do, do you need funds? Is it is it getting a bit crushing, the, the money being thrown at you, or, or do you think that the the grassroots support will will win the day? Well, Margot, look, there's no no doubt that the uh, the airwaves um, are being uh, well and truly targeted by by the, the Liberal Party and the National Party in particular, and uh, television ads are incredibly expensive. Um, we are planning to run some, um, but when we, uh, you know, we are we are tight in our budget because yep. you know we we depend on small donations uh, from across the electorate. We've had the odd donation from outside the electorate, but nothing like we did in 2013 when the whole nation was was excited by by what uh, was potentially going to remove a a well-known liberal figure. Um, we've been travelling along all right, but we could do what we what we really need actually to see us across the line. We need around fifty thousand dollars now to get us to election day, so that we can run yep. um, a series of tele ads and try to keep up in that regard. Um, because, uh, well, as, as you know, um, the major parties are funded by bigger organisations and can take take um, donations all year round at a tax at a tax deductible rate, whereas an independent cannot. So um, yeah, we, we are we are running very close to the wire. Right. Okay. Um, one thing I, I remember from 2013, 2016 is you had a, a large number of, um, of of people who you taught Twitter to, and I'm actually doing it up in Cowper now. I'm inspired. I'm, yeah, I'm running Twitter workshops. Um, and so you you managed to garner a lot of sort of free publicity and momentum. How's that, that social media campaign going this time? Yeah, look, we've got lots of people um, working across social media platforms and um, our, our campaigners now are, are much more savvy than, of course, they were in 2013 when yeah. you had to do exactly what you did and run Twitter workshops. Yes. Um, <laughs> so, you know, they're, they're, they're busy doing that, people taking photographs and, and uploading them. Uh, you know, the use of technology has changed dramatically. So, you know, we have yeah. a Dropbox for people to put in photographs to be used on social media. We're using various chat channels um, and all, all of the technological support that we can muster. And, of course, we were famous for using Nation Builder um, back yes. in 2013, and we've taken that to a whole new level. We've got volunteers up and down the electorate who are quite savvy on how to use Nation Builder. Um, but, Margot, our biggest strength is on the ground in a really that old-fashioned person-to-person networking and talking and conversations uh, is is our biggest strength with those sixteen hundred volunteers? That gives us a lot of a lot of foot soldiers. The other thing that we've got is um, twelve campaign community hubs, which is absolutely remarkable. So these are little shop fronts in small towns where volunteers set up, uh, decorate the whole thing orange, put a little table out on the main street, invite people in for a conversation and a cup of tea, uh, hand out um, materials about the campaign and get people organised to be uh, manning the polling booths and pre-polling. So I'm actually going in, in half an hour, I'm going down to a little town called Chilton, which is where I was, the, the uh, that very young matron many, many years ago. And we're opening a little hub there today and there'll be a lot of supporters there to, to um, get involved with that. It was something we found after 2016. We did a, a quite a comprehensive survey of our supporters, and one of the things they said was they'd like more hubs. So <laughs> we've now got 12. That's pretty amazing. That was one of the things that really struck me about 
um, the way Voices for Indi, Cathy, and now yourself are campaigning is that you allow decentralisation, like you allow communities in, in little towns to do their own thing and you don't try and centrally plan other than get them to sign a statement of values. That's right. So, you know, we, we call this, we borrowed the term radical trust and that's yeah. how we operate because we very much operate on a community development model. So um, I'm a Wangaratta woman and, uh, you know, I don't, I don't um, assume that I know what's going on in King Lake. The best way to find out what's going on in King Lake is for King Lake to tell me and, and mm. for King Lake to mobilise their own community leaders and to work with their own people, to run their own polling booth, to get out and door knock in their own town with people that they know and ring up their colleagues and friends and talk to them and then to tell me when they need me down there for an event. So that's the way we operate and it's, uh, well, it means people are empowered and, and that, that their voices are taken seriously, that it's it's not that more typical big party approach, which is we'll arrive in your town with our set of policies and tell you yeah. how that's going to be. So we're, we're, the, we're diametrically opposite to that. Can I ask you, as a matter of interest, what line is the, is the Nats and, and Libs advertising taking against you? What, what are they, why are they saying that, that voters should not vote for you? Well, so far in their written materials um, or uh, their spoken materials, they're, they're not taking a direct line against me. But right. what I've heard, of course, from the punters, because, again, I'm really connected to my community. You know, I've been here for 30 years and our, you know, our people are, you know, are so connected across the community that, that the main line is that, uh, that I'm uh, uh, not to be trusted and that... Um, that you don't know what you're going to get with me, whereas you know what you'll get with the major parties. And uh, I'm speaking very strongly around the need for climate policy, Margot. So uh, there's some positioning still from the major parties, extraordinary as that may be, that that's a radical, a radical thing to be talking about. Yeah. Um, which is is uh, really well. I, I guess that's why why so many people are disenfranchised with the major parties. Um, or particularly with the Libs and the Nats, is that they can't speak to climate. And uh, people on the ground from, from old, older, long-term farming families through to, you know, first-time voters are talking about climate. So, you know, I think that to position me as a radical for speaking about climate simply won't resonate, in my view. I noticed in your launch speech you said this, um, this would be a climate election. Um, what are you standing for there? Are you on the sort of John Hewson quite radical policy route or do you have a particular vision about what, the, what you'd like to see on climate change policy? Yeah, so Margot, firstly, I, I am positioning myself as someone, as a rural and regional Australian, as someone who knows very well that in my, my rural communities that we are being affected by climate. In, in a in a way that is is more profound perhaps than what what many urban Australians are in that our our farmers uh, our winemakers our crop growers uh, our dairy farmers are all affected uh, at the moment and having to adapt their farming practices to a very clear change in climate they can see it they monitor climate they have done for generations so um, number one rural and regional Australia are already being affected by climate change so there's that number two I actually see adaption to climate and in fact um, reduction of emissions which is is, um, is the other component actually doing something about it 
as a once-in-a-generation um, opportunity for a boom in, in rural and regional Australia. If, if we okay. could have the policy levers that allowed private investment in, um, in renewable energy, in, in, uh, in solar farms, in um, community-led microgrids such as what we're doing already in Indi, in manufacturing of componentry. I mean, um, we have greater stores of lithium anywhere in the world and the opportunity for a regional community to be engaged in um, battery production. You know, I, I actually think that this is an opportunity for extraordinary um, economic growth mm. in rural and regional Australia if we had a policy that would support that. Yeah, um, I just hope that you and Rob Oakshot get elected because you've got a very similar view that, you know, that rural and regional areas could be, could be genuine growth centres. Okay, like, okay, finish off. You obviously don't need volunteers. You do need do money. We need cash. Cash? <laughs> we do need so cash. Give me, give me your website address um, so right. that people can consider donating. Thanks, Margot. So uh, the website is uh, www.helenhaines.org. Thanks a million for talking with us. And um, we're going to be covering this campaign very, very closely. <laughs> so I'm really, really good luck, um, Helen. We need you. Thanks so much for, for the opportunity to speak with you, Margot, and thank, thanks for your, for your interest in Indi right from the get-go. You, you saw this coming, and uh, I guess what I would say to Australia is never underestimate rural and regional Australians. Some of the most innovative and brightest ideas have come out of, out of the regions, and uh, in terms of a, of a new way of engaging with our democracy, Indi has, has led the nation and I'm so proud of it. And uh, I, I'm so hopeful that we can make history and have back-to-back -back independence. Uh, if ever there was an electorate that could do it, it's Indi. Thanks for talking with me, Helen. Bye-bye, Mark.